<clears throat> well, you're in the home stretch, I think. Maybe after Thanksgiving is really the home stretch of your semester here. I don't know. But uh, I'm sure many of you are looking forward to a break, um, whether you're here or going back home uh, or somewhere else. It's great to have a break. And I'm sure part of that break is going to be a little extra rest and relaxation. A little extra sleep planned for anybody? I know uh, I, I get two days off, and it's planned for me uh, to have a little bit more time. We're going to be traveling to Ohio uh, to see both the sides of our family, both Christy and I. But I got thinking about rest and sleep a little bit. I got thinking, does God have anything to say about sleep? You know, one-third of our lives are spent sleeping. One-third, if you do the calculations. I try to be an engineer during the day, and if you do the calculations of an average lifespan, 220,000 hours are spent comatose, laying like a dead person in your bed or the corner of your dorm room, wherever you choose to do that, right? (laughs) Motionless, inactive, unconscious, you know? I was on a business trip recently to Mexico, and I was up at a time no person should be up. It's probably where half you guys were up, 3 a.m. at the airport. And uh, I go walking in there, and there's just bodies laying everywhere, right? (laughs) This is a hard linoleum floor, and I'm stepping over people. And I'm like, isn't this a strange thing? Yes, they're sleeping, but this, this odd thing you might think about of just laying down like a dead person. And you might be asking questions like I have, well, how should I respond to restless or poor sleep? In that airport that that morning, last week, there was no problem sleeping. You know, is there a physical issue if I can't sleep well? Or is there something spiritual also that could be involved? You might ask yourself, is it ever appropriate for a Christian to experience sleeplessness or insomnia to some degree? Does a certain amount of sleep make you more holy without which you're unable to please God? And you may be surprised that Scripture informs us there are times and circumstances where it might be right to be sleep-deprived. Should I feel guilty when I get extra sleep or rest? Is it wrong to sleep in after a long week or to take regular or periodic naps to catch up at times? Or is it possible even to enjoy or love sleep too much? What does the Bible have to say? Well, I'm not sure we'll get to all those questions in their entirety. But with the time we have, we want today to look at biblical principles of sleep. And I would encourage you to keep your eyes open during this time. (laughs) This is one of those times where it's not like, I'll get back to you and sleep on it. No, it's uh, let's, uh, I had to get that in there somewhere, Okay. So we can't maybe address all those questions, but, you know, God has a lot to say about sleep, and many of what we'll look at, many of the principles, are found in the Psalms. It's not an unusual place, really, when you think about it, because in our struggles sometimes to sleep, we find the very relatable Psalms uh, really coming down to earth where the rubber meets the road to really address this topic well and inform us what we should be thinking and experiencing in sleep. So we're going to look at biblical principles of sleep. We're going to look at six of them. And as time allows, we'll look at perhaps some what we call thieves of a good sleep. But the first one we're going to look at here in biblical principles of sleep is that sleep reveals our human limitations and dependence on God. You know, uh, think about it here. In the time that's already transpired today, Since the time you've been here at church, I can say with probably pretty good certainty, every one of you has taken at least one breath. In fact, you've already done it since I even said that. Each one of you, your heart has been beating, pumping blood that is enriched with the oxygen that you're taking in. I would like to say that every one of you ate breakfast this morning, but that's probably not true. But if you didn't, you'll probably eat sooner or later today. And for our lesson today, I would also like to say all of you slept last night. 
But that's probably not also the case. But you'll sleep eventually. You know, all of us routinely do these human activities because you must. You are flesh and blood, and you're human. And God has designed you to depend exclusively on him for these basic human functions for your very existence. If we look at the Psalms here, uh, we'll be looking at a number of Psalms today, but Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5, it says, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. In other words, I'm finite, and you're infinite. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Here's the reality. Man must stop. Man must rest. Man must sleep. Now, in the throes of a semester or a tough work week, all of us employ various tactics to try to be alert and awake as long as we can be to accomplish the task at hand, right? For some of you, uh, you've been in the boundless coffee line this morning. Um, Back in my day, uh, we would crack open a good Mountain Dew. I don't know what it is about IT computer people, but Mountain Dew was always the go-to drink in my day, at least. And today it might be uh, more of a power energy drink, maybe a cold shower or a sticker's break. But if we're honest at best, all we get is a temporary lift, don't we? And we get a lift just temporarily to a body that wears down, it tires, a physical body that eventually requires and demands sleep. Now, maybe you've seen some documented accounts before of those who have tried to stay awake as long as they could, all right? Here's one of them. This one is kind of a famous experiment from Stanford University way back in 1963, where a 17-year-old Randy Gardner uh, stayed awake, awake as long as he could while these Stanford professors and things monitored the effects of sleeplessness. I don't know if you know how long Randy Gardner stayed awake, but it was 11 days and 25 minutes. That's almost 265 hours. If you look at his picture there, I don't know what hour he's at, but that's like me, you know, at uh, 12. Uh, (laughs) But I'm sure he's much further than that, okay? I'm a little older than you guys. But think about that, 11 days and 25 minutes. Now, to give you some perspective, if you stayed awake on the Friday before Thanksgiving, next Friday here, right, this this upcoming Friday, and you did not sleep that day, in fact, you didn't sleep that whole weekend, that first Thanksgiving weekend, right, and then you managed to stay up the entire week of your break, Monday through Friday, didn't sleep, all-nighter, every night, no catnap during the day. And then you got through that whole next weekend as you come back to liberty. You would reach the 11th day of sleeplessness when you completed class on that first Monday back. Wow, that's a long time. I almost thought we'd put a boundless clipboard here, like a boundless challenge. Okay, who could do this? Uh, you know, you can start next Friday, and we'll keep, we'll keep a record somehow. At the time, this was a Guinness World Record. They don't keep those anymore for, you know, all the strange things that happen and how you could harm yourself. But they found here, I think, things you would expect. Loss of concentration for this uh, young man, memory loss, paranoia, and hallucinations, okay? Crazy things happen when the human frame tires out the human frame necessitates regular rest because we're vulnerable, we're needy. And despite our efforts at times to claim invincibility or to act like the master of our own destiny, we must testify to our weakness and dependence every day when we lay our heads down to sleep. John Piper, he always says it better than I do, 
we have to have a John Piper quote or two. But John Piper said this, Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a suckling infant every day. You know, think about it. The proudest, most boastful, most arrogant person who defies God at every step, who resists any and every notion of depending on him, this person must still shut his eyes and lay down like a dead man, resting himself in the caring arms of the one who in reality is in control. Man rests, and we all do. And while the God who upholds everything by the power of his word never rests or sleeps, that will take us to our next point here, of the God who never sleeps and who we really commit ourselves to when we sleep. And our next principle, that being, sleep instructs us that we are not God, the one who never sleeps. It's a closely related point, but something different and instructive here. We're instructed we're not God, and you know, there's this tendency to kind of think sometimes that God is, well, a little bit like us. And in this area, absolutely not. He is the God who never sleeps. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 4, gives us some instruction here. It's, the setting here is likely a pilgrimage to Jerusalem that was recited as God's people were ascending in and looking to the temple where they could meet with God. And here it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, God's people and the surrounding nations, you know, often looked to, pagans, to pagan gods and not the one true God. They would look to dead idols. They would look to the hills. They would look to the creation. Dead idols, those that could not help. But only the true God is living and active and powerful and present and never slumbers or sleeps. You might be reminded of 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah is mocking the prophets of Baal and the gods they served and declaring to them that the one true God, Yahweh, is incomparable to any dead idol they served. And in 1 Kings 18, you don't have to turn there, but he kind of lays, you know, Elijah lays the gauntlet down. He says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word, it says. They were just, they were stubborn, rebellious, and they were going to follow the dead god, Baal. And then Elijah lays out the challenge. He let two bowls be given. He says, choose a bowl. We'll cut it in pieces. We'll prepare some wood. And you call upon the name of your god, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And the god who answers by fire, he's God. And that was reasonable to them. In 1 Kings 18, 26 and 27, it says this, And they took the bowl that was given them, the prophets of Baal, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah starts, he starts mocking them, right? Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. You know, we kind of chuckle at some of these instances here. It's this senselessness of pursuing and worshiping a God that can do nothing. Gods, idols, dead idols that are powerless 
And yet I'm reminded how often I'm trusting in things that are also so powerless. Namely, it's typically myself. But it can be others or circumstances or certain accomplishments rather than looking to the one who keeps me, as it says there in Psalm 121, who never slumbers or sleeps. And so we immerse ourselves in the truth of Psalm 121. We look and pray to the one true God who has no need of rest, who has no need of sleep, who has no need of relaxation. He doesn't need a sabbatical. He doesn't need a vacation. And where you and I fall short due to fatigue or forgetfulness or physical limitation, God does not. He is never caught off guard. He is never surprised. Got to go back to John Piper again. Sleep is a parable that God is God and we are mere men. God handles the world quite nicely while the hemisphere sleeps. Sleep is like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. God is altogether different. He is always available to hear and act on your prayers. In my moment of need, God doesn't respond to my pleas for help with an out-of-office bounce back on my email or a notifications are silenced message. Jesus is ever and always interceding on my behalf. He is faithful. He's my true defense. Every accusation that Satan throws his way is met stone cold in its track by the work of Jesus Christ who never ever sleeps or slumbers. God is never out of the loop. We'll throw Charles, I got a lot of quotes today. Charles Spurgeon, I think, commented well here. We could not stand a moment if our divine keeper were to sleep. We need him by day and by night. Not a single step can be safely taken except under his guardian eye. God is the convoy and bodyguard of his people. When dangers are all around us, we are safe, for our preserver is awake and will not permit us to be moved. No fatigue of exhaustion can cast our God into sleep. His watchful eyes are never closed. And we look at that. I I trust you're encouraged today that when you cast your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Think of 1 Peter 5, 7. And when I share my burdens with him before I shut my eyes to sleep, I can rest peacefully because that care is in the hands of the God who doesn't rest. I can rest because he doesn't. I can sleep knowing he is at work and they're in his very capable hands. I know there's a lot going on in your guys' life today in a busy season. You guys are busy. You're busy people. Oh, there's lots of cares. There's lots of burdens. There's lots of unknowns. There's uncertainties coming your way. And oh, we need to look to God and trust him. And sometimes that just, when we don't, it robs us of our sleep, doesn't it? But oh, to be able to cast our burdens and anxieties because he cares. And he cares for them so that I can sleep. So let's continue to go on. Biblical principles of sleep. We're going to look at number three here. You knew this one was coming, right? Proper sleep benefits us physically and spiritually, right? I mean, I am a father, so I'll I'll act as your father, maybe your grandfather figure today, uh, reminding you sleep is beneficial physically and spiritually. And this might sound like the obvious, but proper sleep provides a wakefulness, and an alertness in order to function properly and to rightly fulfill responsibilities. Sleep is not only required, it's beneficial and good for our bodies. And rest alone can't substitute sleep. Uh, Dr. Bob Smith, I I met him a number of years ago. He's with the Lord now. He was with ACBC wrote some great things, uh, the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. 
and very helpful, uh, but he, he said this I thought was, was interesting. This, this one-third of life makes the other two-thirds possible, right? You have to have the one for the other one to work well. They go hand in hand. And if I want to be useful to God during my waking hours, well, I have to be sure to invest well in my sleeping hours. So the question always comes up, well, how much sleep is enough sleep, right? Maybe I should have some of our med students come up uh, teach a little bit on, on that one. But, but this is what you typically see in my, my novice medical background. But and you, you know those, those magic numbers. Seven to eight hours of sleep a night um, is, is pretty much the universal understanding of what is good, healthy, usable sleep. And obviously, I can't throw that out there and say, well, and be dogmatic about that. Well, if you had 6.9 hours of sleep last night, well, you're out of God's will. Um, you know, really for me, I rarely get that eight, but I have to admit as I get older, I need more and closer to eight, and I've inched that way year by year. Uh, Research shows that 4% of the population can function properly on less than five hours of sleep. We might have all 4% right here, right? Uh, I remember those days, man. My freshman year, I probably averaged five hours a night, and, but I must admit, I was not very disciplined in those days, and God has taught me much more discipline. But really, the best indicator of getting enough sleep, if you want to know that, is just wake up spontaneously, right? Soon being refreshed in your minds and in your body, and knowing that when you wake up. And I know many times that is not the case uh, with, our, with our busy lives. And, of course, an indicator of a lack of sleep is easily going off, dozing off when we're, we're sedentary, right? And, obviously, age plays a role as well and other, other physical things. So I mean, let's just think about this a little bit, how proper sleep benefits us physically and spiritually. First of all, generally speaking, our, I, I think you can relate to this. Our spiritual defenses, and I would say our offense as well as a believer, they're, they're compromised when we're bone-tired. There can be a tendency, I know in my life, to give in when there's a lack of mental energy. You know, it takes, you know, you look at a passage like Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when my mind stops functioning like I'm ready to shut down, I don't give the opportunity for the spirit to do the work it intends to do when I hear the word, meditate on the word, turn to the Lord for help. And it's not like he's not present when I'm tired. And it's not like when I'm tired, it's excusable to sin. No, there's no temptation that's overtaken to us that is common to man. But God is faithful. He'll not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But, boy, we sure like to walk that line sometimes, don't we? And as a pattern of living, we should think about how to get proper rest to prepare for times like this, how I plan my Saturday night, how I plan my week, in order to be useful and profitable God, to God personally and those whom we're called to minister to. You know the poster child of sleep, sleepiness in the scriptures, right? Uh, the boy Eutychus. Um, you know, Paul was preaching late into the night. Uh, it must have been a warm evening, I suppose. And in Acts 29, you know, I can, you can, in our gathering here, if we'd had a few of you sitting at the windows here, it'd be like Luke Bobby sitting over here, and all of a sudden, where'd Luke go? And, uh, and this is what happened to Eutychus, man. Three stories up, goes down, and he, he dies. And, um, you know, even in those, those times like that, God showed his glory. You know, Paul goes, embraces him. The breath comes back. He's back to life. He's raised from the dead. And Paul's apostleship and the authority of the word are confirmed right there before God's people. But, you know, for all of us, though, sleep gets the best of us and, and a lack of uh, rest and fatigue. Um, I would encourage you to try to be thinking about how to get a little more consistency in a sleep schedule and planning your times better about what is important. And that would include Saturday night, of course, when you're planning for your Sunday to make it as profitable as you can. So as we're thinking about biblical principles of sleep, let's look at number four. Sleep is disrupted in an imperfect world. Sleep is disrupted in an imperfect world. 
you know, there's a lot of things that go on in the world that interrupt the kind of sleep we're talking about developing more consistency in. And sometimes there's very little control we have over some of those situations. And in Job, for instance, um, you know, Job went through so much, all within the Lord's careful hand and his sovereign love and um, uh, in control of every difficulty and trial that Job went through. And one of those was physical pain, right? And in Job 7, 4, he says, when I lay down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long and I am full of tossing till the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt and my skin hardens and then breaks out. And just the physical anguish, the physical um, uh, uh, influence and interference with sleep in Job's life may be something you experience as well. I encourage you here, first of all, one point here is God, think of this, God can providentially use a sleepless night to accomplish his glorious purposes. If you go back to the book of Esther and think about that with me, the wicked Haman had planned to execute Mordecai. And in Haman's rage and anger, it was revengeful, right, for Mordecai not bowing to him. And the very day that Haman had the gallows made, King Azuharis had a sleepless night. Must have been too much royal pizza that evening. You know, the royal CCs down the street. And uh, King Azuharis couldn't sleep. And he has the book of memorable deeds brought out. And Esther 6.1 says this, On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was here that the king was reminded or brought to the attention of Mordecai's actions five years earlier that exposed a plot to overthrow this king, as you hear us. And so in the very moment that wicked Haman had come to request the execution of Mordecai, the king has Haman bring honor to him in a most humiliating way for a very proud man. And ultimately, you know the story, Haman himself is executed with the very gallows he arranged for Mordecai to die on. And here's just one example of God providentially working out his sovereign plans through a pagan king to accomplish his glorious purpose that came through a sleepless night in saving Mordecai and ultimately in the story of God's people. So I want you to think about here, sleepless nights aren't necessarily wasted time. Sleepless nights aren't necessarily wasted time. God does not waste moments like this, as uncomfortable or nerve-wracking that can be at times, when we can't sleep when we want to. And there are times we just can't sleep because our body does not cooperate with our plans and schedules. In other words, there aren't necessarily controls we have over this, physically or spiritually. We'll, we'll get to some we can control. My wife, Christy, has many a sleepless night. It tends to run in her family. Her sisters are the same way, and some of our children... And, um, you know, you can go to the sleep doctors and you can go check for this and you can go check for that and just we haven't found that silver bullet yet. And my wife, Christy, has, in these sleepless nights, um, has learned to redeem the time of sleeplessness. She rolls with it in a godly way. And while Rich is in la-la land, just taking down trees next to her, <laughs> Christy's there streaming a sermon you know, sometimes I'll wake up, and there she is. You know, she's got her earbuds in and going through, finding more profitable things to do, reading scripture, taking time to pray. You know, David gives us a peek of a sleepless night in Psalm 119, 147 and 148. I think it's much like we're talking about. He says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. You know, when you should be sleeping, right? I hope in your words. You know, at the crack of dawn, I'm not typically thinking about his words, but when you're sleepless, he put his hope in God's words. What else did David say? My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. 
When sleepless, I'd recommend here, what we're learning from David and others is, hey, have a go-to psalm to go to. Maybe go to Psalm 119. Maybe meditate on these two verses. Psalm 4 would be another good psalm, and other ones we'll go, go over with through the rest of the path, our, our time together today. And meditate on God's character. Put your hope and trust in him. Redeem that time. We're told to redeem our time here. That can be sleepless nights as well. I also want to say here, it is well and fine to strive for physical and appropriate medical means to address sleep deficiencies, okay? My mom and dad are on CPAP machines, and they get better sleep than they ever had before. I know others in our fellowship that need that as well for good health. And you may have to adjust the cadence of your life until you find more peaceful sleep, should God give that to you. Sleep, rest, power naps. My freshman year, those five-hour sleep nights I had, I was on the track team, cross-country team, trying to learn engineering, first time away from home, unsaved. Ugh, it was a mess. And, um, but, you know, something, as, even if it came to know Christ, something that helped me was just getting that power nap. I, I mean, I would come back from practice, and I could hardly get up the steps of my dorm to get my books, to go to the cafeteria, and then go to the library where I, I had to study. And I'll tell you what, that 15, 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes power nap, made sure someone woke me up, just putting my head down on the study table in the library, just helped me work out that busy time of life to accomplish as best I could the responsibilities God had before me. Okay, biblical principles of sleep. Sleep is disrupted in an imperfect world, but also serving the Lord will sometimes deprive us of sleep. Serving the Lord will sometimes deprive us of sleep. Point number five. There are times that we should and will encounter circumstances where depriving oneself of sleep is actually necessary. It'll be necessary to accomplish what God has before you in that given moment or in a given season of life. Look what uh, is said here about David in Psalm 132, verses 3 through 5. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. Listen, you really get a sense of motivation here, right? A goal, something David's striving for. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And in the circumstances here, David had resolved to find a permanent location for the Ark of the Covenant there in Jerusalem. And until this holy goal was accomplished, he declared he would even lose sleep and comfort until it was fulfilled. You know, if we think of our own lives here, when we make it our aim to please him, the goal of our lives, right? We were saved for a purpose. We were saved for a plan that God has to worship and honor and glorify God. This life is no longer about us, is it? It's all about him. And when we make it our aim to please him, we are motivated to live a life in such a way where we choose to live out life outside the normal comfort zone. And so sometimes a good night's sleep is not always God's will. Sleep is not our master. God is. You know, Paul testified of times like this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. He says, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And he, he talked about sacrificing the comforts in his ministry, sufferings and trials and difficulties and, uh, that the apostle endured for the sake of the gospel and for the church. You know, Jesus himself sacrificed sleep to fellowship with and talk to God the Father. In Mark 135, it says this, and rising early, it says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. In Luke 6, 12 and 13, it says of Jesus, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued. Yes, Jesus had all-nighters, okay? And all night he continued in prayer. 
in prayer to God. And when, he, and, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. So there are times, even though we would not say this would be the normal pattern of life, but there are times where it's very appropriate, even called for, to push ourselves when we could be sleeping. There's a friend in anguish who needs a listening ear well into the night when there's a full schedule you know is coming the next day. There's a late, late night preparing for a Bible study you will lead the next morning or a focused time or a season of prayer in times of great decision or the middle of a difficult trial. Being faithful to fulfill commitments you have made into the wee hours of the nights. Or perhaps just faithfulness to your studies, being faithful to what God's put before you or a late night shift at work, preparing for the big test or those RA bed checks uh, at night. Uh, I'm not sure you RAs get any sleep. And so what we're saying here is although a good night's sleep is to be desired and something that's a normal pattern for Christian living, it is something we should normally seek, and yet there's times we need to put that on hold and attend to those things that God has providentially ordered for us to give it its due attention. So biblical principles of sleep, one last one. We had to get this one in. Number six, the Bible warns against the love of sleep. The Bible warns against the love of sleep. Habitual, excessive sleep results in consequences that are detrimental to life. And one of these is financial hardship. You know, Proverbs says a lot about oversleeping, indulging in sleeping as a pattern of living. It says here in Proverbs 20:13, "Love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread." What's it talking about here? When you sleep and sleep and sleep, putting off the responsibilities of life, it will have an effect on the success of life. That's Proverbs, right? Very practical wisdom for living. Now, we're not talking about necessary times where our body needs extra rest, a Saturday morning here or there, right? Those kind of things. But the Bible does tell us to moderate our sleep. It's a general plan of productive, industrious living. In other words, loving sleep means a lack of productivity in this life and for the Lord, right? Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. There's many of them. I'm just going to give you two of them here. But I had to put in a sluggard verse in, okay? Uh, that word sluggard, doesn't that just sound like, yep, I'm just laying there, and I ain't getting up. And no one's going to move me. And, uh, and when I do get up, I'm going to move very slowly. And it says there in verse 9, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you will, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, you know, day by day, oversleeping, oversleeping. You just can't get up, right? And poverty will come upon you like a robber. The house comes crashing in and, and want like an armed man. There's consequences to putting aside responsibilities because of a love of sleep. And really, when we think about it, the love of sleep can often just be a means of escaping responsibility, right? I've been there before. I'm tired. I don't feel refreshed when it's time to get up. The alarm goes off. I just keep hitting that snooze. Boom, to boom, to boom, to boom. And, of course, Chris is, Christy's still up. She's still streaming messages. And it's like, hey, I'm going to get up. Uh, and uh, and uh, sometimes I'm looking at my schedule in my mind. I'm like, ah, I don't want to get up. <laughs> I know it's before me in this workday, responsibilities that are ahead of me, or just a full schedule. And I have to commit that to the Lord. I, I, I have to respond to that properly and biblically. And as I get up, not fully spiritually refreshed, I have to start re refreshing my heart. And I have to start looking to him, reviving myself with his promises, and ask for God's grace that I need, and humble myself before him on a new day, where there's a lot of uncertainty and more that should be humanly uh, uh, responsible for a person to do on a given day and just give that to him where there's grace, there's grace and mercy and help in my time of need as I lay that before him. And really, if you struggle with worshiping sleep, you know, you just you treat that like any other sin pattern, right? 
we come where there's mercy and grace with, to the Lord. We, we see what his word has to say. And just like we've been learning in Boundless over these weeks, we, 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 we convince ourselves and show ourselves from Scripture what's right and what's wrong here and how it's profitable to moderate our sleep and not worship that and get more direction in our life for what's important and redeem the time properly. And we confess that to the Lord. There's mercy, there's grace there, there's cleansing for the asking. And what do we do? We, we replace that. We put that off, and with God's help, we put on productivity. Just like it says in Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, right? Put aside stealing, but rather let him labor, put on labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Productivity, thinking of others first instead of ourselves. And that's a, that's a struggle we all go through, and we're learning to give more and more of our lives to God as we confess and repent and know the joy of serving Christ in the power of his spirit and the grace that he gives us when we humble ourselves, the promised grace when we humble ourselves before him. Okay, we have a few more minutes. This is going to be a drive-by list, all right? Common thieves of sleep. I thought we'd just get this a little bit, touch some points. There won't be enough to get into each of these, all right? If you're struggling with sleeping, like many of us do at times when there's much on our mind, think through some of these. If one of, the, one of these hits you, and you need some help with it, I encourage you, see me, see Clay, see one of our boundless leaders, see a trusted friend to how to focus on this more and understand what God would want you to do. And first of these, I think, is an obvious one, right? When you think of a common thief of sleep, it's going to be anxious toil. Sleep is a continual reminder that we should replace anxious thoughts with a trust in God. Replace anxious thoughts with a trust in God. Look at Psalm 127.2 here. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late rest and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That first half of that verse, that's the hamster wheel that you're on right now this semester, right? <laughs> you might be thinking, oh, can I get it all in? This next paper, this next presentation, this next assignment this next responsibility, and it's just never-ending. And you're running, and you're running, and you're out of breath. And sometimes you just think of, it's just, it just seems like it's vanity. This is, a, this is like, it's, it's, a, it's an echo of Ecclesiastes here, isn't it, that speaks of the vanity of living life that's outside the purview of God's sovereignty and his control over all things. When we're on the hamster wheel of the semester, we, can, we tend to think it's all on us. If I don't get this done, I can't keep my scholarship. If I don't get this done, this professor is going to have my head. If I don't get this part done on this project, my, my team members are going to, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be letting them down. And we just, we get this pressure, right? We feel the stress. We all do. And when that keeps playing over and over and over in a sleepless night, guess what? We have forgotten about the God who never slumbers who never sleeps, who is very capable of caring for all those things when I rest and trust and have a, a sleepful, peaceful night, beloved sleep. I'm looking to the sovereign God that no matter what happens on the busy day ahead, whether it's everything I'm dreaming and hoping and praying for or it's something else God has in order, guess what? He's the one in control. He loves me. He's caring for me. He's going to allow things to happen for my good to make me more like Jesus. I can sleep tonight. He gives to his beloved sleep. You know, the beginning of our sleep at night marks the end of the day that God has given. And the end of our sleep, when we wake up in the morning, starts a new day to trust in the Lord. Isn't that great, the cadence of life that God has given us days, that there's a fresh start each day? You know, sometimes I, I, I hope in my mind that I wish the days were longer. I wish I could do more. And yet God ordered things differently for us. We can wake up in the morning and, and sing and say, like Jeremiah did in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. 
Each new day is a gift from God, a, a daily divine reboot. And it gives opportunity to lay aside the previous day's victories and defeats. And with each new day, we look again and again and again to our great God with hope and confidence in his sovereign control that he exercises his will and his plan and his power over all things, all for my good. And when I'm convinced of that, he gives his beloved sleep. So, anxious toil, one of the thieves of sleep. Another one, unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Psalm 32, go to Psalm for sin that is besetting, sin that needs to be confessed, sin that needs to be brought before the Lord, the burden of uh, sin and its effects on our, our, our conscience and our sleeplessness. I don't think I have any of this uh, on there, but Psalm 32, 1 through 5. I don't have it on the PowerPoint. But David says there, Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer with this unconfessed sin. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. You know, think about that. There is a spiritual component to much of our physical pain and anguish. It's not all medical resolution to pain and anguish we experience, experience in our lives. Oftentimes, there's a spiritual component, and here we see it's unconfessed sin. We can lie awake in bed at night, burdened by the guilt of sin we've committed, and that we just keep replaying it over and over again, don't we? And it's not a curse, it's a mercy to be reminded of the gravity of our sin. We will ask ourselves, why did I say those hurtful words or, or say them in such an angry tone? Why did I leer and lust again today, whether it's pornography or in my mind with images that I just can't get out of my mind? Why have I treated my friend or my roommate or my family member so poorly and I have not chose to yet resolve it? Or perhaps you've been hurt by someone else and your heart's filled with revenge and you just can't get yourself to get past that bitterness and to forgive. And this spirit's conviction is a tremendous blessing. It's the Lord's discipline. This guilt's not a curse, but a blessing. Psalm chapter 6, Psalm 6 verses 1 and 2. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline in me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For I'm languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. So what do we do? Rather than concealing our sin, we openly confess our sin, where there's cleansing for the asking. Proverbs 28, 13. May that be a verse you just engrave on your heart and mind. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It says there in Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Oh, if you're a believer today, we have forgiveness. We have cleansing for the asking. Oh, if we would humble ourselves and admit to God that the path I'm going is just a path down a hole. It's away from him. And there's pleasure for sin in a season, but when we lay in bed, we come to realize this is not so pleasurable. I want to be at peace with God. I want peaceful rest. I want to rest confidently with you. And God has given us every provision to do that. And if you're weighed down by the burden of sin today, come to the Lord. Confess your sin. Come to one of us and we can help you with that struggle to gain the victory that God's promised through his son and the work of the spirit. Uh, other common thieves to sleep, um, very briefly, threats to our safety, right? Threats to our safety. There's physical dangers we can oftentimes meet with. Maybe, not, maybe I shouldn't say often, but sometimes we'll find ourselves in. There's missionaries in our fellowship that have had sleepless nights when a country was in unrest or there was danger or there was those that were intending to cause them harm. And any number of different circumstances that are dangerous, these are naturally, they naturally rob us of sleep. 
there's a, a, an incident during World War II of an elderly woman in England who had endured the nerve-shattering bombings with amazing serenity. And this was noticed. And when she was asked to give the secret of her calmness amidst the terror and danger, she replied like this, Well, every night I say my prayers, and then I remember that God is always watching. So I peacefully go to sleep. After all, there is no need for both of us to stay awake. That's true. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You know, David was in dire straits in Psalm 3. He was being hunted down by his son Absalom. And David was fleeing for his life. And he exercises faith when he says in verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Remember Psalm 3, when you're haunted by peril and danger and the care of our Lord, whatever may happen, we're in his sovereign hands. Finally, depression and despair can also rob us of sleep. Read Psalm 77. You know, David, here I'll give verses 1 and 2, he just was beside himself. He was so troubled he couldn't speak. The problems of life and the difficulties and the challenges being pressed on every side, he moaned. His soul refused to be comforted. And through that psalm, if you find yourself in this situation, they read this psalm, like many other psalms, where David or others find themselves in dire straits, and then they start turning to the Lord in faith, remembering his character, and reviewing that in his mind, his sovereignty, his love, his goodness, his care, and meditating on the promises that he's given to his people. And as you go through Psalm 77, you see he ends with confidence and more of a fear of the Lord than a fear of his circumstances. So uh, I would commit you there to that, that Psalm, Psalm 77. And just finally, wealth and abundance um, is another area. Uh, when our, we're focused more on the things of this world than the things uh, that are in heaven, where our citizenship really is, and it is not a sin to have much here, to have abundance, but when we make too much of that, uh, we lose sleep over it. And we often are filled with anxiety and a trust more in ourselves and preserving what we have rather than using it to honor and glorify God. And that will oftentimes give a restless night. Finally, undisciplined living. Undisciplined living. And boy, we could probably spend a whole lesson here in just remembering of how it's important it is for us just to order our lives in such a way. I have Galatians 5 there, just the spirit of self-control, that fruit of the spirit. And perhaps in today, the Lord has reminded you of areas where you need to focus on and develop self-control in your life. Step by step, giving more of yourself to God and making it more about him and less about you. And that may, account, that may really call you to certain decisions in your life that aren't easy, but oh, there's great reward and great fruitfulness and better sleep, okay? We'll close with this verse right here. Psalm 4, 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. May that be the prayer of your heart. As you leave today, get good rest this week, and we'll see you Thursday night at Boundless before you're off for your break. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.